Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 223 of the Mom Hour. I am Megan Francis, here as always with Sarah Powers. Hey, Sarah. 223. 223. 223. Are we going to have this problem again? (laughs) Okay, wait a second. Now, I admitted that I was having a problem with being able to say numbers, and you said to say 223. Well, I didn't literally mean 223. Just like... If you you plant the idea, it's all... Okay, you guys, you know that I have problems with like any numbers above 99, apparently. This has been going on now for two years. I thought we were safe in the 200s, but apparently nope. we've hit your, like your stumbling block. It's episode, it's the two and the two. Okay. Okay. 223. 223 of the mom hour. Hello. Hi. Um, and we are doing one of the things that we love to do, which is answer your questions. Yes. Like our favorites. It is one of our favorites. We have really good ones this week and next week. So we like to do these in pairs. So today and then a week from today, we will take your questions, give our answers. I don't know. Every once in a while, I feel the need to give a little disclaimer that you guys know we are not experts. It says so right in the intro of our show. So this is more, I think, like an I I picture it like an open forum for us to be like, huh, yeah, here's how we handled that when our kids were little. So I don't know, take it as always with a giant, gigantic grain of salt and the knowledge that you guys also have great instincts and probably are surrounded by otherwise moms in your circles. So we are just two voices and we don't know everything. We do. I don't even know how to say numbers (laughs) correctly. So you know that I'm not an expert, but you know, what's funny about that, Sarah is uh, so often, particularly when someone um, calls in and records their voice, which mm-hmm. is our favorite, um, just we just love to hear your voices, is that I kind of feel like they answer their own question mm. while asking it. 
And a lot of times then I feel like we just kind of validate exactly what they already said. Yes. So I think you guys, you know, you know what you're doing. Yep. You you definitely know what you're doing. You know that we are not the end all be all. But I think as the size of our show grows and our visibility grows, like I never want to, I never want it to be misinterpreted that Megan and Sarah are prescribing what to do. Because we both actually really like being asked for advice. And I know I can get a little excited and probably sound more prescriptive than I mean to be. So there you go. I'm, I'm dialing it back today. You're disclaiming a lot, but that's okay. That's what you do. (laughs) That's what you do. Sarah, we both know this time of year can be crazy. So this is a great time to get ahead with no prep, no mess meals from our sponsor, Factor. I love how these meals are ready to eat and delivered right to your door. I mean, you can't beat that convenience, but most importantly, they're seriously delicious. Yeah, Megan, I agree. Our whole family was impressed with the quality and flavor of Factor meals we tried. And it turned out to be a great option for my teenagers when they got home late from a theater practice or came home from school super hungry. There's zero prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Factor meals just need to be heated for about two minutes and they're ready to go. Yeah. And for any listeners with wellness goals this month, Factor has six menu preferences to support your lifestyle, whether you're trying to boost your protein, avoiding meat, or simply focusing on well-balanced meals. And you can pause or reschedule deliveries to fit your lifestyle. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. Head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code momhour50 at factormeals.com slash momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Okay, Megan. Well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me, and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product. Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from Our Place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built-in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay, well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. Our Place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at, and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as Forever Chemicals. In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the forever chemicals found in many of those air fryers. Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's from our O-U-R place.com code mom hour. Okay, so our first question is from Autumn. It comes in via email, so I will go ahead and read it. Autumn says, hey, Megan and Sarah, I have a question regarding my four and a half year old. In his dramatic play, he's been experimenting quite a bit with killing the beast. Thank you, Beauty and the Beast. Trying to attack his sister with an imaginary bow and arrow, being the bad guy who's going to get mama with his powers. Capturing the heffalump. Well, this kid has like a huge imagination. Um, and getting him with an imaginary sword, etc. He hasn't been exposed to violent content, and this is not at all something we've encouraged. Is it possible he might be picking up on these behaviors from other kids at preschool? Oh, it's possible. He may be picking up on these behaviors from other kids at preschool. My question is, how should I react to this? 
I've tried to at least draw the line at we don't pretend to kill or hurt people, but I'm stuck at where to go from there. I feel like he's working through the concept of good versus bad through play, but I'm not sure how I should redirect this or if I should intervene at all. Maybe it's positive. Any thoughts? I just don't want him to be the kid on the playground going after other kids and scaring them. Thank you. Yeah, we get that, huh? Yes. None of us wants that to be our kid. And for many of us, that has been our kid. And we all turned out okay. So even if that does happen. Um, So I'll just share briefly how this has worked in my house. Um, I really do believe that kids work through a lot of ideas through imaginative play. And so including hard stuff, including like Autumn says, good and evil, bad and good, bad guys and good guys. And no matter what media they've been exposed to, or maybe there is some of this play coming from preschool, um, the desire to play it out and sometimes to play it out repeatedly, like Mm. almost scripted over and over. One of my children became obsessed with the scene in the original Lion King, not the new one that's out, but the original animated one where Scar kind of pushes Mufasa off the cliff, which is a terrifying scene, by the way, Disney. Can I point out that I have heard and I haven't seen it, but I've heard that like the new version is scene for scene exactly the same, but you just get to see it like live. It is. It's (laughs) yeah, it's yeah. Yeah. And it's very realistic. So, and, and that child wanted to make believe that over and over and over again. And eventually she grew out of that. So what I chose to see was for the most part, this is sort of a phase and for in general, I think um, working through things with imaginative play can be a very positive thing. And I think that's where Autumn was going with that. However, a couple of things to note. I do think sometimes kids can get kind of stuck in their uh, imaginary play, in particular kids who are very imaginative and who have a, like a whole inner world. And when I have noticed that, I have found that just little redirection or little changing the script um, on my part has kind of nudged them in or out of it. And if a kid is super, super stuck or they almost feel like it's obsessive, like they need to, like they can't move on until they replay this scene over and over again. I might consider just talking to somebody I trust or, or running that by somebody just because I feel like that's that's where kids can get stuck. And then it, I almost feel like it's not as productive for their imaginative play. But garden variety, I be the bad guy, you be the good guy. I'm going to get you with my sword. I mostly let all of that play out. And what we chose to focus on in our house was the consent of the person being played with. So my kids know I don't like to have anything pointed at me that resembles a shooting weapon of any kind. And so I would just say for myself, please don't point that at me or pretend to shoot me because I find real guns very scary and that makes me feel afraid. Please stop. And so I've drawn the line for myself and sort of taught them to respect that. And and so it's more about the consent of the players than it is about any one given behavior. Is how And that, and that worked for many phases and many years for my kids. Yeah, and I have the same like visceral reaction to having things pointed at me. I still don't um, like it. No, I still don't like it. And I'll tell stranger, like little stranger yes. children mm-hmm, to knock it off in a, in a very kind way. Yeah. Um, so I will totally like echo everything you're saying. I want to point out that because I've been doing this, I've been at this parenting rodeo for a while now, um, that I think that the attitudes toward violent play shift a lot culturally. Mm-hmm. Um, I think right now people might be a little more on edge about it because there's so much violence happening in our lives and mm-hmm. we're seeing it in the media. And so it's it kind of does seem to go just like any trend, right? They There's always like, there's a, a spectrum of how people feel about it. And I think it tends to shift back and forth from one end to the other. So I've seen kind of typical advice all over the place when it comes to violent play and kids. Um, but what I also, I also believe because from everything that I've read, it is developmentally normal for kids to work this stuff out. 
And that this kind of play has been going back centuries. It's mm-hmm. not what's going to turn a kid, you know, a child to grow up into a violent sociopath. Um, and it may not be inspired by them watching a violent video game or something. It, it A lot of it, it just is intrinsically coming out. They might be inspired by stuff that they see, but like that doesn't, that's not where it came from. Mm-hmm. Um, so my rule was always, you know, just don't run ramshod over people. Like it's not okay to get in people's faces and point things and engage them in play. They don't want to be part of, but otherwise like just make sure it's okay. And, and, and that's okay. And I'm, otherwise I pretty much stayed out of it. Um, now your kid's school might have a very different rule, Mm -hmm. but I feel like if your child understands it has to be consensual, they're at least not going to be a playground tyrant. Mm -hmm. And even if your kid's school has a different rule, I think that kids are pretty good at understanding there's a difference between what's allowed at home mm-hmm. and what's allowed at school, or maybe what's allowed at one home and, and allowed at a different home. Mm-hmm. Like kids pick that stuff Especially up. Especially a four and a half year old. Yeah. So I think it's okay for the rules at home to be relaxed, but with this kind of caveat that everyone has to be in on the game if they're going to be engaged with. Yes. And then if at school, the rule is we don't ever do violent play, I, your child, I think will pick that up. And I don't feel like you have to change your at home rules to exactly mirror those rules. I I totally agree. And I think when we think about it through the lens of how are other players feeling about this play, that is so easy to implement at home because, well, I had one kid who was very imaginative by himself and maybe he was over there enacting violent dinosaur deaths and he probably was, but a lot of times kids want or need a playmate. And that's where you can say, you can say very honestly, you know, honey, I'm tired of make-believing Beauty and the Beast kill the beast today. Instead, what if we blah, 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 you know? And so there's almost like this kind of play is often very social, not always, but often very social. And so if we focus on the relationship or, Mm -hmm. you know, your buddy from school looks like he's not having very much fun or I noticed this is scary for him. So let's find something else to do. It's not making the the violence itself or the make-believe bad, but it's recognizing that this is two are playing at this game. And if it's not if the power dynamic is unequal, we need to find a different way. Um, And I've also, when I say like, it's all about consent and someone can say no, I recognize there's very often power dynamics where a kid doesn't feel like they can say no because they're younger or they're, you know, they're kind of having fun, but they're starting to feel a little uncomfortable. And so that's where I I just kind of always have an ear tuned in. And I might just kind of breeze in and be like, Hey, is this still fun for everybody? Cause the same person gets their head cut off in this make-believe over and over Over and over. I'm just noticing a pattern here. So I don't mean that like it's up to the littlest kid to always stick up for themselves. I do think there's a, that's a learning process, but um, I think with one ear open and then just letting a lot of it slide by and trusting that it's most likely a phase, I think you'll be good to go at them. Did I ever tell you the story about when I was five years old and my friend Fancy, um, I had a friend named Fancy. I do kind of remember that name. She played over and over again that she tied me to a tree and burned me at the stake. (laughs) And my mom, I remember finally, my mom was always very hands off about that kind of stuff. But my mom finally came over and was like, nope, we are not doing this anymore. Like she just couldn't. And I remember that really clearly, like being intervened for. Yeah. Because I think I was starting to get a little like, why? This is really weird. Why does this continue to happen? But I didn't feel like, well, it was Fancy's one chance. I couldn't let her down. Yeah. I just do what I just did there. Uh -uh. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, my mom took care of it for me. But you, you know, you remember that being advocated for. Yeah. Um, And it is sometimes a play can borderline get a little weird. Yes. No, it can. (laughs) And they do. Kids will work through weird stuff that will make you be like, 
ah, where did they hear that? Where did they see that? And then I think you just wait a beat, just a beat. You don't like, you don't say, oh, it's fine. It's all normal. Like you still are tuned in, but you can wait a beat. And like, most likely it's normal. Most, yeah. That's my new, that's my new um, prescription for everything. Most likely it's normal. Most likely it's if normal. Not, and, see and a professional. And it just, it's also, you know, we always get, we get so freaked out about what our kids are exposed to nowadays in video games and cartoons, but I guarantee um, Fancy was not playing a video game about burning witches at the stake. So she right. picked up on that. Who knows how? It could have been out of a book that was lying open on a table. You know, right. like who knows what madness she was working out in her head. But the point is that this is how kids do it. And it's, it's probably normal. What's uh, fancy likely. up to these days? I have no idea. <laughs> she moved just, away. Just, I never got to play with fancy. I'm just curious if she's <laughs> tying people up. Just curious. I don't know. I don't know. Um, okay. Well, Autumn, you're doing a great job and uh, keep us posted on thing, how things are going. So our next question came in via SpeakPipe, which allows you guys to record your voices and leave us a voicemail. And this one came in just yesterday, and I was really, really happy to receive it. And Megan, this question is mostly for you. It's from Nancy, and we will listen to it now. Hey, ladies, I love your show. Boy, do I wish the podcast medium was around when I had littles. I have kids similar in ages to Megan, 21, 18, 15, and 12, one boy and three girls. I would love to hear what the family dynamics are having young adult children living in your home. My oldest and only son just barely moved out a few months ago to live on campus at the university he attends, and my second oldest is heading to college in just a few days. I can't figure out if I'm coming or going with these adult kids. I miss them when they are gone, but when they pop in at home with their independent personalities, I don't know what to make of it. I want my kids to launch and be their own people, and they are great kids but some of their crazy and normal choices make me nuts. How do I encourage their independence and not let them get in the way of the rest of the child rearing we are trying to do at home? Any advice for me? Okay, I love this question. Thank you, Nancy. Um, Okay, so it is definitely, definitely an adjustment. I was exposed to a term a few years ago um, called soiling the nest, which is what baby birds do before their moms kick them out. Interesting. And when you really, so like when the baby bird starts literally soiling their Mm -hmm. nest, it's like time for them to go. And there's this, this phenomenon that's been, that's been documented and, and watched and researched where teenage kids start to do the same. Often that starts to happen before like the launch phase that starts to be like the late high school when you're like, okay, it's time for you to go. But I do think in general, kids are starting to do some of these things later and later. Um, some of the stuff that would have made a kid want to leave home and join the army when they were 17 before, I feel like we're just kind of circling around to it a little bit later now. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I think that soiling the nest is happening like at concurrently with having left the nest. Mm. And then they come home and like, like kick it all up on the week, like get feathers and poop everywhere on the weekends. So, um, yeah. So I guess I'll just give you a big, like, I'm with you. I hear what you're saying. Um, I'm there. Of my two adult children, one has completely um, launched, like completely independently. He has flown and the other is more slowly working toward it. So I have to treat the two situations differently, which is hard because they're both adults. They're both young adults and and I can't have exactly the same expectations of them because they're different people and their lives are different now. So um, I guess just to like commiserate with you, it is weird to have adult kids come and go however they feel like. Mm. Um, 
They kind of blow in and out. I've noticed in particular the one who's completely left, although he comes home every single weekend, he kind of doesn't expect to have to do anything when mm-hmm. he comes home. He doesn't really expect to have to participate in a family dinner or to ever have to do chores. And I've gotten a little bit of attitude from him when I've asked him to take the trash out. And it's it's not his job anymore, um, but he's standing right there and he's eating my food. Mm-hmm. Right? And, he, and so, he's still a part of, he's still your he's still, kid. You're still yes. his mom and he's in the house. I, and like he's part be, of the family life. Yeah. Yes. So I've had to have conversations like you can't just blow in and out. There's courtesy. Um, if you're going to leave and not come back tonight, please let me know. Mm-hmm. Likewise, if you're going to come back home at 2 a.m., let me know. I, I don't want to wake up in the middle of the night and hear my door slam. It's like really alarming. And I feel like even if, even if he, when he's gone during the week, it's not like I'm checking in with him every night and saying, where are you? But when he's in my home, that's very different. Yes. So there's, there's a difference. And if you're in my orbit, like you're part of the family unit and you need to, that doesn't mean you have to be around all the time. I understand you're catching up with your friends. You work all week or whatever, you're going to school, whatever you've got going on. I try to be tolerant of that. But still just that basic respect that we're still your family and you can't just come and go mm-hmm. however you feel like. It's disruptive. It's confusing to the younger siblings. Mm-hmm. Like, they want to hang out with the olders and they're like, why are they never here? Mm-hmm. So for the most part, that has just been an adjustment. Um, do you, I'm going to jump in on. with a question. Sure. Do you feel like you had anything to compare to? So I know your older sister has grown kids, mm-hmm. um, but I, I could imagine this being a phase where there's not a lot said or written about what that relationship is like and almost feeling like it's uncharted territory. Like what yeah. is... What is our relationship now? Well, it's very hard to find. People don't write a lot about parenting older teenagers and young adults in general. So that's, it is hard to find. But also when it's written about, people tend to think that like all young adults are following the same thing Mm. where like they all go off to college, you know, the year after their senior year of high school, after they graduate. And then they're just at college Mm -hmm. all year, maybe come home every now and then for a holiday and then they're home all summer. And that's not how it works for a lot of kids. Like yeah. that's not how it worked for either of mine. Um, my sister's kids were a great example because they're all, except for the youngest, there's three young adults and they have all come and gone, lived with her for a while, moved out for a while, moved back for a while, moved out for a while. They've all staggered, like gone to college for a year, worked for a year, kind of figure out what they're doing. And so they've all like adulted mm-hmm. eventually, but it's just been a very different on-ramp. And what I've seen is that her house and what I've uh, admired about what she does is that her house is just kind of this, like. Haven and the kids want to be there. Like Mm -hmm. they want to come home. They want to see her. They want to hang out. Um, but they're not there all the time. They don't expect to be able to live there. They're not taking advantage. It's just if it's it's like a safe place to land if Mm -hmm. it's needed. And that's kind of how I I see myself. And you know, like with their choices, I mean, as long as it's not directly affecting me, um, for example, being rude about comings and goings and things like that, like I mostly or if they're gonna really screw their lives up. Um, you know, if they were like on drugs or something, that would be a different story. But I kind of see this as like, I can offer you some guidance, but I don't really get to be the mom the same way I did when they were 17. Mm -hmm. And even if I were paying for their education fully or like, you know, financially helping out, which I am to some degree with both my young adults, like I still just don't, I feel like we're in this transition period. I get to have some say over how that money is spent. But if all I do is like let them leave and live someplace else and then monitor them the entire time. We're not doing what we need to be doing right now. Mm-hmm. Like the thing we need to be doing right now is not me controlling all their lives, but they're just farther away. Mm-hmm. Like that doesn't make any sense to me at all. So I'm available. Like if they need advice or if they want to talk about something, I'm, I ask a lot of leading questions, but as long as it looks like they're making progress and figuring stuff out, um, 
I'm really, I kind of try to keep myself at arm's length. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really about what that goal is. So my goal is to be a person in place. My kids, as they grow, want to come back to and want to have a relationship with. And right now we're in the most awkward phase. Like Mm -hmm. this middle stage is like, they will eventually, you remember how you felt about your parents when you were 18, 19, Mm -hmm. 20, 21. Like you didn't have a lot of time for them. Like you didn't really have a lot. You didn't really, not that you didn't respect them, but like you were learning how to take other people's Right. It's that uh, necessary separation. Like it's supposed to. You were separating. And so you didn't, it's just that they weren't as relevant. Mm -hmm. I don't remember thinking a whole lot about my parents when I was that age. Like they were always there, but like I just, and then later when I was a young adult, suddenly they became important and like, wow, they really knew a lot about this and that thing. And it was kind of like a big about face where I really wanted to hang out with my parents Mm -hmm. when I was a young adult. Um, It just took me a while to get back there. So that's Mm -hmm. like my goal is to get there. Yeah. And I kind of just kind of keep that goal in mind and try not to get offended when they act like kind of indifferent to mm-hmm. me right now, which is happening. Yeah. 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 I love it. I have nothing to say except to thank you for going first. <laughs> oh, and thanks, Nancy, for the question, because yeah. I, I totally agree. Like sometimes it's really hard to, to appropriate, put appropriate distance without being distant. I loved the way she worded a lot of her questions. Like she isn't trying to hold them back, but at the same time, she's still parenting younger children and has expectations for the home. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, and that can be tough too. Like trying to keep things like kind of trying to keep the wheels on the bus for the (laughs) youngers while the olders aren't really participating in or contributing to that. It can be really frustrating. And that's the thing to me, like, those are the things I really put my foot down about because it's a courtesy, Mm -hmm. it's a courtesy issue. And like, you don't really just get to blow through here and treat us like we're disposable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but at the same time, it goes both ways. I don't really get to control their lives anymore either. Right. So like there has to be that balance. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Okay, Megan, like many of our listeners, I'm sure I've been doing some spring cleaning in my closet lately, and it always feels so good to get rid of clothes I'm not wearing, things that don't fit or that aren't my style anymore. But you know what I realized? All of my Vionic shoes are always in the keep pile. They just tick all the boxes. They're cute, comfy, high quality. They last forever. And I love growing my Vionic collection, especially with the latest styles from their Vionic Vitals collection. The Vionic Vitals collection offers daily wear styles designed for elegance, comfort, and versatility. We both love the Uptown Loafer, which collapses flat, so it's perfect for travel. The Chardonnay Heeled Sandal, which I know you love, Sarah. The Walk 23 Classic Sneaker, which our team member Katie gets compliments on all the time. And the Willa Slip-On Flat, one of my favorites, which comes in 12 colors for any outfit. Yeah, I need to uh, get the Willa Slip-On Flat. That's next on my list. Well, listeners, if you're ready to try the shoes we're always raving about, use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Sarah, our sponsor, Haya Health, makes a kid's daily multivitamin that parents can feel great about giving their kids because they have no added sugars or dyes. And our kids who have tried Haya vitamins have loved them, which is important, right? Because what good is a bottle of vitamins that your kid won't take? Haya was founded by two dads who didn't like the ingredients label on some of the popular children's vitamins they were seeing on store shelves. So they got to work developing a formula that would help fill the most common nutrient gaps in modern kids' diets. 
highest chewable kids vitamin is made with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables and then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals. They're also vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, and nut-free. Haya manufactures their vitamins right here in the USA with globally sourced ingredients, and then they ship their chewable vitamins directly to your door on a pediatrician-recommended schedule. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com slash MomHour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Okay, so our next question comes from Katie, and it is kind of in response to an episode we just did recently about families starting school for the first time, but her question starts a little younger, so we'll listen. Hi, Megan and Sarah. This is Katie from Hendersonville, North Carolina, and I have a question. My 15-month-old will start preschool for the first time on September 3rd, just after Labor Day, as a walker. She's in there. Um, youngest class. And I know you guys recently did an episode about like um, starting elementary school and starting middle school, um, but didn't know if you had some tips or thoughts on starting preschool. Um, Would love to hear what you have to say. Thanks. Well, Katie, thank you for calling in that question. Again, guys, we love hearing your voices, love playing your voices on the show. Um, So I really kind of, this took me back because I Um, started my oldest in a kind of daycare preschool situation about three days a week when she was 14 months. So just really very similar age. We made it through the first year with like a hybrid part-time nanny slash my mom situation. So it was our first experience with any kind of school or childcare, formal childcare outside the home. Um, And I remember she was barely walking. um, And so when you said it's like the walkers group, I just can picture this little class (laughs) of they're toddlers, but they're not preschoolers yet. It's like, it's definitely like a hybrid baby toddler situation. So I guess I'll, I'll cut to the tough stuff first. And that is that separation anxiety is so normal at this age and so, um, extreme at this age Mm. for many kids that if you wrote to us in three months and said, nope, she never had problems separating at all. I would say high five, but you got really lucky. (laughs) So like, it's so normal that you're going to come to expect it. And this age seems particularly hard with separation because they're starting to be verbal. I remember Allegra saying little sentences like mama, no, no school, stay mama. Like these little, like two, three word sentences. And you're like, Oh my God. They're heartbreaking. They're heartbreaking. So a, just know that it's really normal. Um, I think most schools of this age are so used to it and, and you can really just lean in and trust that however, the teacher is used to handling it in that classroom, whatever guidance they give you, I think for the most part, I would say follow along because they've, they've done this a gazillion times. It's not just your kid. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. It doesn't mean that the school or the teacher isn't right. Um, it, the tips that worked for me were keeping goodbyes very consistent and very relatively short, not sneaking out, but not lingering for 10 minutes in the classroom one day. And then the next day I'm late for a meeting at work and I've got to like drop and run. So trying to like keep it short, sweet and consistent each time. Um, And then, you know, you can ask later, like how long did they cry? How long? But I have had kids cry for an entire year at preschool drop off and still been thriving in preschool. So when I say it lasts, it's not like it's for a week. For some kids, it's many months and it's part of the drop off and it's It's hard. It's almost their routine. It It becomes their routine. 
Like, it's like kids can kind of get themselves like, what's the word I'm looking for? Like they attach to an idea mm-hmm. that when mama leaves, I cry. But if the preschool teacher or daycare worker tells you that they stopped crying five minutes after you left, that is almost entirely true. Like, right. like do not doubt them. I know it sounds impossible, but that's so often the way it really is. It really is. And I, I really think that, especially if you've already vetted this place and you've chosen it because you like the people, you can trust what, what they say about this kind of thing. I have seen in a preschool situation, I have seen a couple of drop-off criers that I think that the school and the parents had to almost take it to the next level. Like, okay, this is becoming a little disruptive or this is, but that's, that's uh, hundreds and hundreds of kids I've watched being dropped off in years and years. And so, okay. So that part's normal. I think one of the positives that I really enjoyed at this age was the verbal explosion that's happening between one and two and the singing and the socialization is a really fun age to have them in some kind of environment like this. And the cool thing about, you know, sending a little toddler off to school is they're going to come home and start to be able to tell you things, um, that happen. And I just remember I have really fond memories of a very young, you know, one and a half year old putting, trying to tell me little things that happened or sing a song that they learned at school. And, and it, for me, it was the first time we'd been like really separated like that, where she was having this whole experience outside of me. And to this day, that's one of the things I value about sending my kids to school is that they get a, something that I'm not providing at home. They get a richness of experience. They get to learn to to make friends. And so I have fond memories of that, even at really little ages. But I also think, I think we've talked about toddlers and friends and sharing and stuff before on the show, but you also, you can't expect a lot from these first, um, they're still parallel playing for the most part at school. So if you are the type to get really excited about them making friends and being nice to their friends, just know it is, it is kind of a train wreck when you walk into like a toddler daycare yes. room, kids are still <laughs> grabbing from each other. Teachers yep. are running interference. It's maybe not going to look like what a three and a half year old preschool classroom will look like someday, but I still think there's, there's some really cool experiences for toddlers to have. So I don't know. Those were just, I don't even think that's advice, just some memories for me. And I think that like the only other thing that I would say is if you're, if your 15 month old has not been around a lot of other babies Mm. her age precisely, then some weird behaviors might come out while they're in the middle of that sort of hot mess. Mm -hmm. That is a 15 month old. It probably, I bet it's probably a 12 to 18 month class or something like that. And, um, like that's when kids start doing weird stuff, like pulling hair and biting mm-hmm. and, and, and I just don't give that, like, you can look back through our archives how yes. many times we've had to talk about biting or yeah. pulling hair and things like on the show. It's just so normal and predictable that like, it's, I wouldn't worry about it. I wouldn't either, especially if you have a basic level of trust in this program that you've chosen, yeah. there will be a biter. Maybe it's your yep. kid. Maybe it's exactly. not, but there will be a biter in yep. a 12 to, yeah. And things start to really calm down, I think after two, but those, yeah. those one-year-olds in a room, I, I also want to talk about germs real quick. Cause this is another, I kind of forgot about getting sick. Whenever you're sending your kid away for the first time, whether you wait till they're four or they're in daycare from when they're six weeks, the reason reality of illness is just, it's just something we've all been through. And hopefully your, your, your preschool facility has, you know, decent policies around it and the other parents are conscientious, but it's, I don't know any other advice other than to grin and bear it, wash your hands and, you know, have the nurse line on speed dial because one-year-olds and germs, it's, it's tough. So I've just been there for that, like green snot. Yep. The green snot, the ever, you know, ubiquitous. Yes. Green nose. 
And if you have guilt about it, just know it would happen whether you delayed this by a year or two or had started it a year ago. I mean, it's going to, it's that initial kind of exposure. And so, yeah, green's not, we've all been there. Um, Well, good luck, Katie, (laughs) sending that little one off. And I will also link in the show notes. We have one more. It's called Things We Shouldn't Have Freaked Out About Starting School Edition. And it it tried to cover a lot of ages, but we we talked a lot about first early preschool experiences. So I'll link that up as well. You might find some more in there. Okay, so our last question for today comes from Jamie by email. So I will read it. Hello, Sarah and Megan. Jamie here from Apex, North Carolina. Here's my question, and it's a loaded one. All right, Jamie. My wife, Amanda, and I have an 18-month-old son and have already begun to wonder how we will be addressing gender identity and sexual orientation topics with him as he gets older, both specifically as those topics relate to him and also generally in the people he sees. I'm curious how you all have brought discussions about this minority group into your family. I think moms are the most well-positioned group to raise a generation of kids who are aware and supportive of LGBTQ issues. I realize this is an enormous topic and one you guys may not want to touch for a variety of reasons, and that's okay. However, one of my favorite episodes to date is the one where you two, quote, talk awkwardly about race. And that's in quotes because that was what we named the episode, (laughs) which told me you will take on tough topics and ultimately gave me the courage to send this email. You both rock. I'm so grateful for your creative and real perspectives. Thank you, Jamie. Jamie, thank you so much. I'm really glad you asked this question, actually, because it's something that's been on my mind. Um, But it's nice to have an intro. (laughs) Yeah. Something we either one of us has expertise in. So the fact that you asked it because you just kind of set us up. Yeah. And you and your family are welcome in our community. Yeah. Um, so I would be honest and say, this is definitely something I could have stood to be more proactive about when my kids were younger. Um, I kind of always took this really casual, like all families are different approach. And I did make sure that my kids were exposed to different kinds of families. But what I've noticed looking back now is that that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean we naturally encountered families all over the spectrum. For example, um, I've had several, um, male couple friends, same sex male couples with children but I've had far fewer friendships with same-sex female couples with children. Mm -hmm. I don't know why that is. Sometimes I actually think that moms are less likely to be recognized as a couple. And I don't know if it's because you just typically see like, I don't know, like kids look around and they just see moms as moms. Nobody really stands out. You're just, I've had kids say to me before when I would see them like outside of the context of the mom group, have no idea who I was. And I would say, oh, this little boy I was just talking to, Nate, was like 13. And I said, Nate, I've seen you a million times. Haven't you ever seen me hanging out? Like (laughs) I'm Owen's mom. And he's like, well, you're just one of the moms. So I think sometimes like that might be happening. Um, but just in general, I think sometimes for whatever reason, we wind up with like one kind of person who doesn't fit that traditional nuclear family mold and not like the other. And then we forget that our kids aren't necessarily connecting the dots Mm -hmm. like that just because there might be this way a family looks and that way a family looks. They're not necessarily then going down the line and going, and also a family can look like that and that and that and that. So I think we have to be a little more proactive about it. Um, and that did lead to me having some catching up to do later as the kids got older and had questions. I think the really good news is I think that kids are getting, are so much more wise and knowledgeable and smart about this stuff than definitely they were 10 years ago or, or 20. Um, I have learned so much from having young friends. Um, I do a lot of theater. And so I have a lot of young people in theater who Mm -hmm. are in their teens and twenties. And that's really made me really aware of a lot of things like trans issues, which weren't something that were on my radar. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we're on a lot of people's radars like 10 years ago. Definitely things have changed and shifted a lot. So I just keep trying to remind myself, like, 
I probably haven't said this enough. Like that's right. if, if, when it comes down to anything like this, where there's no harm in me talking about it, it's a current event, but it's not like a stressful current event. Right. You know what I mean? It's something that should be talked about and should be talked about positively. It's not like, um, oh my gosh, we have to have this talk today because I need for us to talk about LBGTQ right. you know, issues. Like it isn't like that. It's more like, Hey, it's a positive thing. Like there's this family. They're so cool. They, there's two moms. Like, and if you just normalize it over and over and over, you almost like really can't do it too much. Yes. Um, and I probably could be even more, I could be even more proactive about that. But the good news is I think the kids are starting to do it for me now. Like mm -hmm. the kids are almost seeing it and normalizing it and, and talking about it amongst themselves. Um, and I live in a pretty conservative area and my kid's school is pretty small. And I will say on these issues, like, I feel like things have, are way, like they continue to just change so rapidly and there's so much more acceptance. So I don't know exactly if I'm even answering the question, except to say, like, I probably could have done a better job with that, but it's on my radar that the more I talk, the better. Well, if I can, I think you did answer the question. And if I can sort of like restate it, I think number one, ideally we're surrounded by diversity. And unfortunately it's not always easy to be, to have representation of all groups in your kids' lives. And that's something I think about a lot in the area that I live. And so when there are gaps in the kids' experience, I think that's where the opportunity is to have those conversations, like you're saying. And so you, like you've spoken to both sides of that. On the one hand, your kids weren't exposed to certain demographics and, and certain groups weren't as represented. On the other, as they've gotten older, their, their circles have diversified and it's become a part of their lives anyway. And, and I would think that in the background has been you with sort of a constant, um, you know, establishment of what you believe in your home, which is that all families can be celebrated and are great. Um, so I have a couple things to add. Um, I think when I feel overwhelmed about what to say to my kids about anything, next week we're going to take another tough question about um, violence in the media. And I was thinking about that. Anytime I'm kind of overwhelmed about what exactly to say to my kids, I try to boil it down to what is the most simple truth. And after that, I answer their questions. So to me, the most simple truth here is that love is love and that all families and all humans are worthy. Like that's the, that's my simplest truth. And if I explain that and then maybe take a step further and talk about what that looks like out in the world, after that, I'm answering questions. And I feel a huge sense of relief when the questions are coming from the kids, because then I can, it's, it, you can be age appropriate. So I'll just give a little example. We had a little play date, got to hang out in San Francisco with my college friend, Patty, who's married to a woman, Erin. I went to their wedding a couple years ago, but the kids hadn't met them and hadn't met their new baby. And so when we were getting in the taxi to go over there, I said, we're, they said, who are we hanging out with again? I said, oh, my friend Patty and her wife, Erin, and they have a new baby. And um, Violet, who's six and a half, was like, cool. And I was like, yeah, I don't know that you've ever hung out with, you know, two women who are married to each other. And she's like, oh, yeah. And then the older two, I noticed, were looking at me and their questions were about biology, right? Because they understand a little bit more about how babies are made. So it wasn't judgment, but it was like, well, hold on. And I just said, yeah. and I just kind of let them look at me. And I think they didn't know whether to ask it in front of Violet. And I said, are you curious about kind of the science here? And they said, yeah. And so I gave literally a 15 second curbside. We're getting in the lift to go over there. Um, explanation of a donor and a, you know, like the pregnancy and they were like, okay, cool. So like, I feel like the questions led the way 
in that scenario, but it starts with like, what is the, how, how can I boil this down to the simplest truth that I believe and share that with my kids and then let their questions lead the way. And then what they realize is it's not that complicated. Like, right. It's the same. This is the same um, technology, the same science that a lot of opposite sex couples mm-hmm. are using to also have a family. Like, so, you know, then they're like, oh, well, okie doke. Well, I think the kid, the thing that we've, it's so easy to forget when we get all, you know, nervous, our heart starts beating or, about it, yeah. is that the kids don't have, they don't have the political context. They don't have the historical context. And while hopefully they'll grow into having those things, they don't have them when they're asking their questions. So our answers can be equally frank and mm-hmm. simple without without some of the, the, what we've carried about some of these issues. And so I, but that's, that's hard to remember. It's hard to remember that this is a simpler question for them than the answer feels to us. Yeah, totally agreed. Well, Jamie, I hope that that answered your question and, and we appreciate it. Yes. Thank you again for sending that in, Jamie, and to everybody who sent in questions this week. Um, If you guys are curious, we have all of our listener questions episodes archived at themomhour.com. There's one page where you can see all of them. And I I lost count, but I think we have, I think we've done this more than 20 times over the, over the four years. So, um, episodes like this where we take on a variety of questions and if you're new to the show it's kind of a fun way to get a bunch of different parenting topics covered at once and get to know us um so that is all at themomhour.com and i will link up in the show notes for this episode how you can look at all of those listener questions episodes um and next week megan we're back for more yeah we'll talk to you soon the mom hour is supported by partners like erica Erica is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug when they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. Erica was built by a dad of three boys who saw that teens themselves were really becoming self-aware to the risks of social media, and he wanted to help them self-regulate. Erica works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. Hey everyone, Sarah here. Megan and I would absolutely love it if you hit pause right now, right where you're listening and left The Mom Hour a rating and review. If our show has helped you feel a little more confident as a mom or a little less alone, that's one of the absolute biggest ways you can thank us. And it really takes about 30 seconds. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, just navigate to the Mom Hours show listing. So not the episode you're listening to right now, but the kind of landing area for our show as a whole. And then scroll down to leave a rating or review. Thank you so much.